Hey everyone, and welcome to the Christ Family Church Podcast. We are so glad that you've made the decision to take time out of your day to join us virtually. Whether you're at home right now or listening on your way to work, we hope that you enjoy this week's teaching from Pastor Zachary Fraley. We're in this sermon series right now where we're talking about practicing the way. And um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard this term, um, the way of Jesus, or the right way and the wrong way. And so what we want to do is, like doctors and other practitioners, we want to learn what it means to practice our faith in Jesus Christ, to follow after him. And this comes from scripture, it comes from us following um, Jesus, but also it comes from this um, book or sort of a codex, as we would call it, called the Didache. It's one of um, the earliest sort of codexes that we had. And paper was really difficult to get back then. It was really um, pricey. So they would basically hand this brochure to people. And this Didache, it talked about basically how there are two ways for us to live. There's the way of life and there is the way of death, the way of Jesus and the way of living into his kingdom, and then the way of everything else. And I know that in our world, this seems very exclusionary, right? Uh, Don't all roads lead to heaven? And for us to stand firm on our faith, we believe that there is only one way to eternal life, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So um, we're in the week two of this. This is a sermon series where it's on each, uh, building on it week after week. And so um, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you go check it out on Spotify or on our YouTube and catch up. But with that said, we're going to read from Matthew 11. I'm putting uh, it out of the message translation today. And um, so if you're reading from the NIV or ESV, that's great. Um, but I'd encourage you for once to um, look up there. Normally I say, open your Bibles, let's have our physical ones. Um, but I really found these words to be poignant and reflective about what it means to follow Christ. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all things to do and say, this is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Before we get into it, Are you willing to listen this morning to the words of Jesus? Verse 28, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. God, we come before you with full schedules and full lives and lunch reservations, and we just ask that in this moment that you would bless it, that you would bless our hearing, that you would bless even my speaking, and that Jesus, each of us would not only um, learn more about you, but we would learn more about your character, the desire for intimacy that you have for us, and Jesus, we would live more into the kingdom of your, uh, your kingdom more and more until that kingdom is lived out here on earth. I pray, Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see your goodness, open our ears to hear your truth, open our hearts to receive the message for us, for us today. And Jesus, I pray that we would come to this message hungry for your spirit, knowing that it is out of a hunger and a thirst that you will not leave us um, thirsty and hungering, but that you will satisfy us fully. It's in your name we pray and everyone said. 
Amen. In 1984, there was a man named Eric Ostrom. He turned 18, and he moved from Sweden to the United States. His parents didn't know why he did it. He had a third-grade education. He didn't speak the language at all. They're like, why did you come here? Because it was a land of opportunity. Later, he married his wife, Anna. They had six children, and um, two of them were lost in infancy. And uh, his grandchildren would later write about the story that his grandfather told about um, one time when his daughter passed away, he walked through a blizzard to another town in order to bury her. Eventually, he eventually or, uh, developed tuberculosis, uh, had that for 11 years, was in and out of a sanatorium there. He had one of his lungs removed. They thought it was because he worked in a steel mill. And because of that, he would never actually get to be over 100 pounds again. He lived to the age of 84, and life was hard for him. But all that Eric hoped for, all that he yearned for and desired for, was that one day life would be easier for his children and his children's children. One day they would have access to health care, they would um, be in warm homes, they would have education, they would um, be able to have a reliable supply of food. That's all Eric wanted for his kids. He thought that those things, if they were there, that they would make his kids happy and fulfilled, and they would give them the life that he never had. But here we are today, and all of those things have been granted in our world today, the, yet the formula for happiness has proved to be more elusive as time goes on. We've seen that food plus warmth plus education does not equal a utopia in our world, even though we live in a time of unprecedented wealth. We have leisure, entertainment, convenience, and comfort. We have actually insulated ourselves from the ravages of nature. When it was negative 40 degrees with the wind chill, none of y'all were probably outside going, oh, I wish I had a warm house, right? You were inside insulated from that. We now live in a time of unrivaled prosperity and and wonderfulness in our life. Think about it. We are in an unprecedented time. We actually make more progress in one day than cultures would make in their lifetime, in a century. We have more progress in our world day to day with happenings of technology information than ever before. Actually, I was reading a book and it says the average New York Times newspaper has more information in it than an 18th century man or woman would ever encounter in their entire life. To say that we are in an unprecedented time is it's sort of an understatement. We have unprecedented access to information on a scale like never before. You know, if someone tells you something and you don't believe it, if you don't believe that statistician or st- statistic I gave you about the newspaper, you could go and Google it right now and fact check it, right? We are no longer at the whims of, well, grandma used to tell me, um, but let me be clear here. I know that when you were growing up, life was tough. You walked 15 miles to school, uphills both ways, in a blizzard. It was difficult. My grandparents told me about that all the time. Probably it was a horse and buggy, or at least that's how my grandparents painted the past for me. But I know that our, uh, each of our formative years and difficulties and struggles, I know they were hard, but I look at Gen Z. I look at my son in the world that he is coming in adolescence right now, and I believe that the present is acutely different than anywhere ever before in our world's history. I mean, just think about how drastically things are changing. 
the speed of travel, the speed of communication, the power of computers, even in the past 20 years, the media, pervasiveness, power, energy, the utilization and dependence on um, litigation levels, electric money, and that's a new thing, right? Traffic congestion, the prevalence of divorce, uh, overpopulated prisons, um, availability of illicit drugs, the disintegration of the extended family and the utter uh, destroying of the nuclear family. The area that we live in is different than the era we live in is different than all those that preceded it. And, we, and when we factor in the interrelatedness of all the issues, the dimensions involved, the speed of change, then I believe unprecedented becomes too mild of a word. Think of it, the rapidity of change that we experience. It has also exponentially increased the number of bankruptcies, the cost of homes, increased the cost of healthcare, education, the volume of junk mail. I would like for that to stop, please. The explosive power of weaponry. I wonder if Eric Ostrom back then um, would have ever thought that we would get here. And I wonder if he thought that our lives would actually be better instead of the reality where people drink and drug their problems away or seek to disassociate through social media and watching the television. It seems that we are living lives that push against the limits in every way. But honestly, how is that helping our lives? How is that helping the lives of our children? How is that helping us psychologically and most importantly, spiritually? You see, we've progressed in a few things, but others we've left at the wayside. And I know this seems really dire. It gets better. The Blair was like, the message is a little depressing. I was like, it gets better at the end. She's like, it better. Um, thank you, honey. But think about it. We have evolved so much in our physical environment. Think about our health, our wealth, the material world. We've made progress in that. Our cognitive environment, information, technology. Um, we have more information than ever before, but we failed to progress in our social environment. Think about it. Most people have less than 1.5 close friends now, whereas 30 years ago, it used to be 10 on average, okay? Um, Our social environment is being destroyed. Even though we have social media that connects us, it is different. Um, Surely you felt that during COVID when you were like, I just want to see people. Even if they're people I don't like, I just got to see somebody, right? And not just on a Zoom screen. Uh, The emotional environment. Right now, um, there is a mental health pandemic unlike ever before. Our emotional environment is not progressing. And then our spiritual environment, the eternal and transcendent with God. We have made such progress in areas, but we have forged new ways, found new cures, but it's come almost certainly at the detriment of our hearts and our minds and our souls. We've been so focused on flesh that we have left our spirits out in the cold. We have forsaken the most important thing ever, our relationship with our loving God and Father. And even if you aren't a Christian, even if you are here today because somebody dragged you here, you can see the truth in this. As the mental health crisis rise, as more and more people have to be medicated, youth after youth after youth and child faces crippling anxiety and depression. And I, I want to be very clear here. I'm not trying to stigmatize mental illnesses or struggles. I deal with anxiety at times. I deal with um, seasonal depression when it's really cold. And I just came back from Florida and it, where it was 70 degrees and then I'm at negative 40. That's really hard. Okay, Um, but I don't say this to stigmatize mental illness at all. Uh, One of my best friends is a mental health therapist, but I ask this because what is the answer? What's the cure? Is it more progress? Is it more just going ahead and forging on, leaving behind social, emotional, and environmental or spiritual environment? Or is it instead taking a step back, looking at the ways that Christians lived before all of this happened? 
looking to the early Christians in the desert, looking to the first century church who forsook everything to follow after this rabbi who had this amazing message that said, pick up your cross and follow me. Is the way to fulfillment found in more progress or can we actually learn from Christians and thinkers who have gone before us who have said, yeah, you can look at all this stuff and it may bring you a momentary bit of happiness, but what about our eternal happiness? I don't think that we can find any more enjoyment in the world than it offers right now. I think we've maxed out on that. I believe it's through practicing the way of Jesus that we can find true fulfillment in our every day, even when life is hard. I think we've reached the end of the road with progress. So my question is, is there a better way? Is there a better way for us to live? Is there a way for us to have fulfillment, for Eric's dream to actually come true, that his children would have the things that we have now and they would be deeply fulfilled? The answer is yes. I believe in the deepest part of my heart that the way of Jesus is the remedy to our worry, sick souls. I believe that through practicing the way of Jesus, we can find true life, the life that Eric so deeply desired for his children and grandchildren. And the amazing thing is that his grandchildren and great-grandchildren are still Christians because of the way that he lived, always pointing them to Christ. And so as we go on in this message, I want to just focus today on how you and I can be with Jesus. Not do things for Jesus, not earn anything, but simply be with Jesus. So I want us to read these words together again. Are you tired? Some of y'all are like, yeah, pastor, I am. All right. Are you worn out? I mean, I see some, uh, some people uh, uh, nodding their heads. You burned out on religion. Come to Jesus. Get away with him. You'll recover your life. Jesus is going to show you how to take real rest. Walk with Jesus. Work with Jesus. Watch how he does it. Learn the unforced rhythms of his grace. He won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with Jesus. Be with Jesus and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Is there a way out of the cyclical nature, the um, revolving door of progress that we are trapped in? Yes. I believe it's through practicing the way of Jesus, through following the example of our Savior from not just living like him. You know, a lot of churches, they say, what would Jesus do? That is a great question, but you're not going to know what Jesus would have done if you don't spend time with him. Be with Jesus is the first step to ever figuring out what Jesus would have done. Jesus says in this, come away with me and you'll recover your life. Come away with Jesus. Be with him. Spend time in his presence. I know what you're thinking, but pastor, what if I lose my job, right? What if you take a stand for Christ? Well, you'll recover your life. But what happens if you lose your friends as you follow Jesus? Yes, that could happen, but you will recover your life. But Jesus, what if, uh, what if, whatever it is, yes, all of those things may happen. But do you want to recover your life or not? Do you want to actually find fulfillment again, to not just be worn out going over the same year over and over again on repeat? Then keep company with Jesus. Keep company with him, be with him, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. How do we remedy the situation? Where do we turn to? We live in a world right now that seems to be on the edge of collapse when the Western church seems to have lost its voice in a world on a precarious balance. How do we fix this? I believe the first and most vital step in the process of becoming an apprentice to Christ and practicing the way is to be with Jesus. We see this clearly in the excerpt from Matthew when he says, are you tired? Then get away with Jesus. You worn out, be with Jesus. Learn by being with Jesus. 
We even see this in a story um, told about Mary and Martha. I don't know if you've learned that, uh, heard this story before, but Martha, the, Jesus was literally in this house, and Mary was sitting before Jesus, and she was listening to every word that he said, and Martha was going about everything in her house. She was like, I got to cook this casserole. I got to clean the Savior of the world. The Messiah is in my house, and I got to make sure the toilet is clean. And she looks at Jesus. She says, Jesus, can you tell Mary to come help me clean the house for you? He says, she's doing exactly what she needs to do. She's spending time with me. She's in the presence of God, being with Jesus. Could we in the church have gotten so distracted with doing things for God instead of being with Jesus? Because it's by being with Jesus that we learn to live like him. I believe deep down in the heart of everyone, whether you are a Christian or not, on some level, we all desire to be with Jesus. Even if you don't know Jesus, even if you walked in here today because somebody dragged you here, I believe deep down in your core, you desire to know the God who loved you so much that he gave his life for you. But the things in our world crowd our lives. I mean, we want to spend time with God. We want to read our Bible, but it's hard to make time. It's hard to add another thing. And deep down, we all desire Jesus, no matter how we treat it with the sedatives of this world. So how do we do that? How do we spend time with Christ? Well, we open scripture. Um, this week, we have our new Beyond Sunday Bible reading plan. Sometimes if you're uh, new to Christianity or even if you've been in it for a while, the Bible is a really scary thing. It's a big book. We've decided to help you with that. It helps me. It helps our staff. And um, we break it down a chapter every day to just spend time with God. We're actually going in Acts and Genesis because we wanted to look at the early ways of the church. You can open uh, scripture. You can spend time with God. You can come to church and listen to messages. Or you can spend 24 hours disconnected from the world and just spend time with God. There's a plethora of choices And if you're hearing my voice, you're probably thinking, oh, great, this pastor is going to give me another thing, right? Another Bible reading plan I have to do. Another thing in my already uh, overloaded schedule. Now I got to read my Bible too, Pastor Zachary. Or now I have to add another thing to my plate. I won't shame you for thinking this way because I I think that way and sometimes like, oh, I got to add another thing in there. Come on. But following Jesus, I don't believe it's about, it's not about adding one more thing. It's not about adding Jesus to the side of it. Being with Jesus isn't about adding another to-do item or another thing to check off, because being with Jesus, I believe it's about subtraction. Being with Jesus is about subtraction. Think of this verse that we read last week when Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. Drop these things and follow after Christ. Spending time with Jesus, it's not meant to be the task at the end of your day if you have time or energy. Spending time with Jesus is not meant to be the thing, you know, if you feel like it. It's not to be uh, meant to be a prayer that you throw in at meal or before a meeting or the thing that you do so that you can still hope that you're going to heaven. Life with Jesus is not meant to be a side option. It's meant to be the very core and center of our lives. Jesus is not an optional side dish. Life with him is the main course. Think about Jesus' call to the disciples to pick up their cross and follow him. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version because it tells us a little bit more about the words. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. What this means is attraction in a way. Disregard, lose sight of, forget himself and our own interests and take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and if need be in dying also. For whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here, they're going to lose it. They're going to lose eternal life. 
But whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, whoever subtracts things and makes sure that Jesus is at the center of it, for my sake, shall find it life everlasting. These seem like really like nasty words in our culture. Deny yourself, but everybody's telling me live my truth. Don't do the things that my flesh wants to do, but everybody is telling me to give into my desires. Take up my cross, the very point of Jesus' suffering, and be with Jesus, because if I hold on to my life, I'm going to lose it. These seem like really nasty things, but if you subtract the meaningless from your life, whoever loses his life, uh, his comfort, his security, Jesus says you will find life and life everlasting. And I get it. Our lives are full. My life is full right now. But is your life full of stuff or is it full of Jesus? Is your life full of meaningless things that are here today, temporal, gone tomorrow, or is it full of Christ and his love? Do you start off your day opening your phone, checking your emails, or you start off your day going through Psalm 23 and the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you wake up and, and say the, uh, the prayer by E.E. E. Cummings, I thank you, God, for most of this amazing day. What does that look like for you? I started really contemplating it um, this week, and I was sitting at Milltown Coffee, and, um, and just for a moment, I was thinking, I was like, okay. So uh, I, was, I was thinking through all of the stories of the Bible, and there was this one man named Zacchaeus, okay? Jesus comes, and Zacchaeus, um, Zacchaeus is really short. He can't see Jesus. So he has this hunger and this desire to know more about God. So he climbs up on this tree to see Jesus, and Jesus sees him and walks right to him and says, tonight, I'm going to stay at your place. Tonight, I'm having dinner at your house. And I thought about it, okay? 2024, if Jesus were to come up to you today on your busiest day of the week and say, hey, tonight I'm coming over for dinner, what would we say? Probably be like, oh, you know, I have a consistory meeting or, you know, I'm so sorry. I've got youth group with, uh, you know, and uh, the kids have cello lessons. I've got to take them to Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and, and all the stuff. And, and they're also learning piano too. So they got to practice that. It, can we plan it for four weeks out, Jesus? I, our life is full. I, I just don't know. I, I would, I, we'd love to have you over for dinner, right? I, I'd love to make room for Jesus. I, I just don't have room right now. 2024, Zacchaeus probably would have been like, oh, I don't know, you know, it's tax season. I got to go to H&R Block and, and, you know, pray about my taxes, right? It would be totally different. Instead, Zacchaeus was like, yeah, come over. Even to the point where other people were like, why is Jesus eating with this tax collector? How many of us would subtract from our life in order to make room for Jesus? How many of us would look at Jesus and say, yeah, come on over. I have a full schedule and I have things that I have to do, but I'm going to drop it all because I realize that you are the most important thing in my life and that being with Jesus is, in fact, the core of my identity. If Jesus were to come to you tonight on the busiest night of your week, say, hey, can I come have dinner? What would you say to him? How full is your schedule and how much room do you have to be with Jesus how many of us would subtract from our life for the exponentially better thing that is Christ? And let me be clear here. This is not to condemn you. This is not to make you feel like a failure for not allowing Jesus in. I get it. We all have full lives. We have full schedules. So this is why I'm not stressing that you have to add one more thing to your schedule. I'm simply asking, what are the things that you can subtract from your life in order to make room for Jesus? Because it should be the spending time with Jesus 
should be the very end and beginning and closing of our day. It should be something that our whole life is surrounded with. Um, it should be the thing that we wake up to and, and we can't wait to spend time with him. It should be the thing where we're surrounded by everyone at work, but we take just a moment to pray and to thank God. Thank you, Jesus, that I have breath in my lungs, that my heart is beating today. I believe the solution to our problems and the worrisick souls of our world today is to be with Jesus. We have traveling sports, though. We have needs and wants and desires. Again, I get it. You're stressed. You're overwhelmed. You're tired. But question, what is that life getting you? What is this life of stress and worry and overwhelmingness getting you besides stress fractures and, and overwhelmingness and burnout? We recently had a newborn baby, and our life changed, okay? We cannot go out to have dinner anymore at night because at 6 o'clock, he starts winding down, and at 7 o'clock, he has to be in bed. Otherwise, everybody is, is going to be in trouble, okay? We had to recreate our schedules. We can't be out past 7 o'clock at night. We've had to remove things from our life, shift them around to make room for our child. We shifted our life around because we see the importance of time with our son and being with him. In the same way, what needs shifting or moving or even deleting in order to make time for Jesus? I, knew I know deep down that uh, you don't want to be busy, hurried, rushed person that might be perceived as, but could you, in fact, need subtraction from your life in order to make room for the Savior of the world, the Alpha and Omega beginning and end, the author and perfecter of our faith? So what things do you need to drop and to subtract in order to be with Jesus? Because being with Jesus is more than just doing things to check off a list. Being with Jesus at its core, it's knowing Christ, spending time in his presence and learning to live life with him. I've started a practice every year now where I go to a monastery. I eat really bad food prepared by monks, okay? It's, it's not that great. But I spend 48 hours there in silence. I don't talk to anybody, okay? For an extrovert like me, that's really difficult. I look at the other people and I, I want to know their story. I want to know, hey, what are you praying about? But I'm there for silence, okay? And I go throughout the day, I go to worship, and then for the rest of the day, I sit and I read my Bible or I read a spiritual book or I just sit in silence and pray. And it's hard. It's difficult. Again, my extroverted nature wants to talk to everybody. But I realize that in order for me to continue this life, I need to be with Jesus. While I know this isn't possible for all of us, it comes as a genuine want and desire to know Jesus because I read scripture and I see the danger of doing for Jesus and not being with Jesus. So what is the danger of doing instead of being with Jesus? What do I mean by this? Jesus made it very clear in scripture after scripture that you and I are to know him. Even in John 17, Jesus there, he, he redefines heaven. It's not necessarily us going to see um, our grandparents that passed away before us. Here it says, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God and the one whom you have sent. Is heaven getting reunited with our family and friends and all those things? Yes, but heaven is also you and I knowing Jesus in the now. This verse, it was eye-opening to me, convicting, because eternal life isn't just heaven one day. It's right now, knowing Jesus, spending time in his presence. Another verse from John 14, 6 through 7. So Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. When we know Jesus, we know the father. When we spend time with Christ and we open our Bible and, and we spend time, even in church, listening to hard messages that make us go, oh my goodness, should we cancel cello lessons? I'm not saying that. 
I'm just saying, what do we need to subtract, though, in order to give all that we are to Jesus? And then the scariest verse ever for many believers, which I believe is eye-opening. Verse 21 of Matthew says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy for you in your name? Didn't we cast demons? Didn't I run a whole children's ministry and start a women's ministry? And didn't we plant a church? And why wasn't I a missionary? Didn't I do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. For me personally, that's one of the most terrifying scriptures In this, we see that there are many who think, oh, I've done all of these things. I am Martha. I am working hard, right? But is it in fact Mary who we're supposed to be like, looking at Jesus, captivated with him, learning from him, spending our days surrounded around him? Jesus, didn't you see the things that I did for you? Didn't you see the ministry I led for you or the sermon that I preached for you, the Bible study I led? And Jesus looks at them and he says, go, get out of my presence. I never knew you. Doing things for God and being with God are two very different things. For me as a believer, this verse shakes me to my core. I don't want to get to the end of my life and resume and think with a resume of things that I did for Jesus and then have him look at me and say, you never knew me. As a believer, this verse shapes my discipleship. And as a pastor, this verse shapes my charge because I don't want to lead a church that does things for Jesus. I want to lead a church that instead spends time with Jesus, that lives in his presence, that opens their Bible, not to check off a list, but instead to hear the words that God has for them in that day, to spend time with the God who shapes and molds us. I want uh, to lead a church of people that uh, spend time with God and have his fingerprints all over them. Turning back to Matthew 11. Are you tired? Oh. Well, I'll just read it. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me. Spend time with Jesus, you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, how to walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with Jesus and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In closing, I believe there's something missing from the modern church today. And I'm not talking about social justice or more programs or whatever else. What I'm talking about is the lack of disciple-making, making making disciples who are taught to be with Jesus, who want to be with Jesus. The gospel has been preached in such a way that you can go to heaven without ever becoming a disciple of Christ. You can raise your hand and say a prayer and just go to heaven, but that is not the, the discipleship. That is not salvation as defined in the Bible. That is not the message preached by Jesus. So what is our church going to do? It's obvious that something is missing from the church today, not necessarily from our theology or our our doxology, but actually from the practice and praxis of our faith. I believe the issue facing the church today, the failure in the church in the West, comes down to our practice. Not only has Christianity in recent years uh, and decades become a lukewarm proclamation rather than the line in the sand decision to follow Jesus, even in the midst of opposition. I believe the message has gotten mixed up. We don't follow Jesus to get ourselves into heaven. Let me say that again. We don't follow Jesus in order to get ourselves into heaven, but instead to get heaven into us. 
Instead, to get his Holy Spirit into us so that that can flow throughout of us into everywhere that we go, to the grocery store, to our coworkers, to school. We don't follow Jesus to get into heaven, but instead so that heaven can come and live in us. And then one day we can go there and be with him, yes, but in order to live out his gospel promise to this world and to help others follow after him. We follow Jesus, not to get ourselves into heaven, but instead to get heaven into us and into this world through us. I believe what we must do in order to right the ship and fix the wrong trajectory is to go back, to once again look at the Christians who left, uh, who left Rome, who left um, everything to go into the desert to be with God. Look at the Christians who leave um, the comforts of this world and even their jobs at times to go and spend time with Jesus, who go and follow after him with everything because they realize the most important thing is that we know God. Be with Jesus as he forms us in and out. I believe we need to subtract more things from our lives in order to make room for Jesus who matters more than anything else. And I believe the first step in all of that is to be with Jesus. Today, as we um, move on in our service, we're going to celebrate and remember communion. Communion is a time where we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but we also remember that his body and blood, the bread and wine, are within us. His Holy Spirit comes to live within us and, and helps us to live lives outside of these four walls that help the gospel to be preached in such a way that others come to know Jesus as well. So today we take communion and we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Remember his body broken, his blood poured out, the salvation that he earned for us, not through our good works, not through uh, reading our Bible and doing good things, but instead through our faith in Jesus Christ. And in communion, I believe it's one of the most wonderful pictures of us learning how to be with Jesus. So um, I would ask that you stay seated. The, the elders are going to come forward, and um, we're going to uh, continue on in worship um, as we uh, prepare. So if you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day, for your life, and for your love. We thank you that you aren't a God who is far away from us, but instead, Jesus, you said, behold, I am with you even unto the end of the days. Jesus, we pray that you would be present right now in the bread and in the grape juice, and that, Jesus, you would um, move in our lives. You would convict us of sin. You would convict us of wrongdoings. And, Jesus, you would, your Holy Spirit would empower us to live lives in wholeness and discipleship to you. I pray, Jesus, that as we take this, uh, these communion elements, that you would help us to remember to be with you. We would even do an inventory of the things that even pull us away from you or don't add to our life with you, Jesus. And we would learn that life with Jesus, life following after you, it's about subtraction so that we can make sure that you are at the center of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Hey, again, we hope that you enjoyed that teaching from Pastor Zachary and being a part of what God is doing here at Christ Family Church. If you'd like to come visit us in person sometime, we meet every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. And if you'd like more information on our church, you can head over to ChristFamilyChurch.org. Once again, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week.